Welcome to The Experience Makers, a brand new podcast series from Cognify, WPP Marketing Technology Consultancy. I'm Jo Milne, I'm a journalist, and once a month I'm going to be reimagining customer experience with Cognify and their guests from across the marketing technology industry. We're going to delve into everything from what today's consumer really wants, right through to technology that feeds the experience economy and digital transformation. Whatever stage of the digital journey you're on, if you're in business today, this one is for you. In this episode, we're going to be talking about culture change as it relates to digital transformation. Our guests will discuss what culture change looks like, the impact it will have on business and some practical ways to advance culture change in your organisation. We're going to be joined in the studio by Leo Raymond, CEO at Grey Consulting and Lisa Humphreys, UK Strategy Development Director at WPP. We hear a lot about this idea of culture change, creating great culture, um, you know, companies with a good culture, are the best ones or whatever. I guess you kind of have to change culture or shape culture based on some form of need. What would prompt them to have to try and change a culture or shape a culture? I think when we're talking about culture, we very quickly default into soft metrics and free breakfasts and slogans on the wall. And that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is um, the business need to change the way that you operate as an organisation. And that has to come from business strategy. So I think the culture change is something which um, you can't transform without, but often is something that isn't thought about first. So I I think the businesses that I work with and the the clients that I see, I don't see them coming from a point of the culture change necessarily being the first thing that they identify, but they identify a need for them to transform their organisation. And in order to do that, you need to get everyone within your organisation working in the new way. What would maybe an example of that look like? You know, is it, oh, we aren't making enough money this quarter, so we need to, you know, change our culture? Or is it we need to try and adapt ourselves to new kinds of clients? Or like, what what would be a sort of more, I guess, concrete example of that need and then the require of the the one either? I think that's a great, great way of phrasing it, because it definitely isn't we need to make more money this quarter and let's change the the culture of the business. And and I'm sure we'll come on to it later, but part of the challenge with this is that these are long-term changes often and things that take a lot of consistency. I think a good example would be moving from a business that provides a product or service to a business that provides an experience. And we're moving very much into the kind of experience economy. And when you start thinking about it in that way, you're not. it's not just about someone being able to find your product and you guessing it them quickly it's about everything that goes around that and that would lead to a business changing the way that they operate in order to be able to provide an experience rather than a a product and the physical product might be part of that but the experience is more than that and it's the thing that connects you as a customer to that brand for longer do you want to add anything to that i just think that you know in in general business chat conversations and articles you know it's always about changing culture in the face of an existential threat around disruption or the wider trends that a company isn't harnessing and, and therefore failing to grow. I mean, actually, if you're really smart about it, and I think if you really understand what culture change means, it's kind of a never-ending process so that even when you're on top of your game, you should be changing your culture. I mean, I've, I've seen firms um, personally, both, both clients and elsewhere, that are really flying high, actually, and that's exactly the time to start to modify and amend how people work and how people think and how people behave. Um, but typically you have this sense of some kind of magical cauldron of brilliant kind of behaviours in an organisation. Let's not mess it up because they're doing so well. Actually, that's exactly the time when you should drive the change to the next. So do you think then it's quite tied with, 
I mean, you're talking about success there, but, you know, digital transformation or changes within the broader, I guess, society, you know, because, you know, I can understand a, a leader in a business going, my business is doing fine. Why do I need to be thinking about shifting culture? What does that even look like? What yeah, first steps yeah. did I make? And, you know? you know, in the 1990s, that would have been cool. Yeah. But of course, today, you know, we don't know what what will social platforms look like in 2024. We don't really know. And and therefore, you have to have a fluidity in your approach to how you think about how we work, what we do, what our drivers are, what our principles are. You know, I think that's the the companies that have a, people who have an ability to accept change and adapt and adopt adopt new thinking on a regular basis are the ones that are going to win. Everyone knows that, I suppose, but actually making human beings think that way and behave that way is really tough because one of the things that big companies are good at is actually enshrining a feeling of a small entrepreneurial team, a culture of a small gang, into a process Mm. a rigid structure and process which is meant to kind of exploit that clever idea they've had and make it work but in doing that you start to fossilize people's behaviors and attitudes so building a little bit on what you said there about sort of a formal process and a kind of you know following the steps and so on and so forth um i think I would argue it's maybe overly simplistic to say we kind of just have to do culture change, right? We do have to have some level of process or some how-to or whatever yeah, because not everyone is going to automatically think like this and that doesn't mean that they're not right for working in a business, right? So how do you think that approaching even working out what culture change like, what culture is, what how you shape it, like how do you even approach considering the idea of culture and culture change? I think... You have to start with data and, you know, that's how we advise our clients, it's how we work within our own business. You've got to really understand your data. Now, when you're talking about culture, where your data points come from is quite different to a traditional analysis, but there will undoubtedly be millions of data points that you can draw on. I think you have to talk to your people and really try and understand the rhythm of your organisation and whether that's working for you or against you in terms of your growth. And I think you have to spend a huge amount of time on this. And that's the that's the tricky thing, really, is actually finding time. And Leo talked about the senior level being so important in these cultural changes, but at board level, to be really focused on driving those changes through and also understanding the culture of your organisation to start with so you've got that, that base point. What, what even is culture when we're talking about businesses? I think... Well, it's not just businesses, it's it's communities, it's organisations, it's not-for-profits, it's everywhere, right? And societies even, British culture, American culture. It's a set of patterns, there's lots of different definitions, and I'm sure I'm not the anthropologist to answer it, but there's there's a set of patterns about what's important and how you behave in certain situations. Someone said, culture is how you behave when no one's looking, which I'm not sure it's the perfect definition, but it's kind of... I have a way of behaving in this in this office environment, in this home environment, or whatever. That that that, ref, that is what you would call a culture. A tribe can behave with a certain culture. A firm can behave with a certain culture. It's kind of how the people in that place act and behave. The things they do, and more important, the things they don't do as well, right? And I think, and that's when it becomes important because what you do, that's your job, right? I do do I do service my client this way. I do look up my customer in this way. I do think about internal processes in that way. So it it's the translation of a. It's a space, I guess, somewhere at the intersection of attitude and, and behaviour, particularly in working environments. And that, and that's why it's so important. So everyone's talking about digital transformation right now. And no one's really talking about, and this is particularly relevant for this podcast, I think the mental transformation 
or maybe even the emotional transformation that goes alongside it. So digital allows you to do different things, to create different experiences, to harness different data points to achieve a certain, a certain goal. Have you managed to also change the way that you think and act in response to this new technology that's available to you? Um, and I think there's lots of examples, aren't there, of big organizations that put big tech in place, spend big lots of money on it, and nothing changes mm. because they haven't thought about the human side, the mental and emotional transformation. They've thought about the technological bit. I know it's going to sound a bit kind of heretical, particularly on this podcast, but um, because because it's not easy to do a big tech transformation project, but maybe the emotional and mental part is even harder. Mm, mm. And that's I was actually going to go back to your point earlier, Lisa, then about data. So if 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 we are approaching business change, culture change, whatever you want to call it from a perspective of working out what's going on, working out how we have to move forward. What does that data collection look like from this, as, as you've put it, Leo, a kind of emotional human perspective? Well, I think there's lots of listening to your employees and the people that you work with. I think you have to really understand the things that are important to them. You also have to speak to your customers a lot. And that, that, you know, probably the most important data points are coming from your customers, your customer retention, how happy they are, you know, their reviews online, potentially social listening. There are hundreds and thousands of ways of collecting those data points. But I think you have to be clear about exactly what you need to collect rather than what what you can, Mm. what you should rather than what you could, because you can be overwhelmed. Mm. But you'll start to see patterns. And often you're not going to see patterns that are unexpected within the data. Certainly my experience of speaking to senior executives within any business, they have a good feel for the things that are going to come up in terms of issues or challenges or, or the positive sides of their company culture. But what the data enables you to do is get away from what can sometimes be culture within a team particularly that have worked together for a long time of what I reckon it is and you might be right and you might pull all of the data to prove that that gut feel is the right the right thing but that data will enable those decisions to move through a business much more quickly than if you're just trying to do it based on on lobbying and encouraging but it will look different for every organization and so moving on to the next, I guess, stage of the process, you've done your data collection, you've identified maybe there's, I don't know, organisational silos that are stopping things from happening. How do you then um, start to think about implementing change? Because I can imagine if a culture is quite strong and if it's problematic, particularly, it's quite hard to take everyone on a positive journey, changing that, particularly people that that culture is not negatively affecting uh, to begin with. Mm. So how do you start to think about bringing employees, customers, senior management, you know, all the different stakeholders along with a deliberate, active change? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, um, um, add to Lisa's comment about the sort of data and analytical side by going almost to the opposite extreme, which would be a healthy WPP thing to do, which is um, the power of stories. So, yes, it's important to understand what our situation is and what we need to change. And without that, you're in trouble, no diagnosis. But what really works, like in my experience, is, and this is very hard to quantify, but people tell stories about good things that happened mm. or stories about bad things that happened. Mm. And the stories carry through an organization. I, mean, I remember walking into a new firm that was you know, flying high and 
what the, what culture was made of in that place was a set of stories, 10, 15, different people had different versions, but they were stories about things that had happened, behaviours that had been taken place or events that had occurred or client interactions or whatever it might be that made you understand what good looked like mm. in a way that was totally relatable. Like I tell you a story, you will understand that. It sticks with you forever. No numbers needed. You get it. Mm. So finding ways to articulate and tell the stories of the sort of world you're moving towards is a really is a really powerful and simple system for doing that. I think it's probably the sort of thing that the management consultants would forget. But I think I think that the stories can be very very powerful drivers of behaviour. So I, if it was my job right now to change the culture in this room, I'd think of a story, an example of a thing that happened that we could all relate to. Almost like getting people on board with why they should bother yeah. as such. And it's totally relatable. Vision. I mean, a story mm. is really relatable. Remember that time when, mm. dot, 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 you know, it's, um, now that's not the only thing, you, it's not the only lever you'd pull for changing a culture, particularly in a big organisation, but the power of stories to carry, they used to say corporate values. I think stories is a more modern understanding of what that really means in practice. How would you hold people accountable once a sort of plan has been implemented, as it were? You tell the story, say, this is where we're kind of going to. In order to do it, we have to do well, X, then, Y, Yeah, Z. I guess then it's you know. back to Lisa's point around um, data and behaviour, which is we have this agreement around what, a good, what good looks like. Are you living up to it as a collective, as an individual? No. Well, and then you think you deal with that. And the data can tell you that from if you're doing it in a big organisation, then I guess your appraisal system can tell you that. So there's definitely an aspect of culture change, which is hard nose, which is you're getting promoted and you're getting fired. Mm. And and actually not taking that. If you try to drive culture change and you're not prepared to make hard calls on people, mm. you're not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. I think for people who understand the need for culture change inherently are probably already doing it automatically to a degree. Or at least it's it's part of the fabric of their being or maybe a part of the fabric of their company because they inherently understand already. For those who maybe aren't convinced or don't actively think about this, I suppose a, a framework of sorts or a, or a list or a how-to or something is required in order to have the conversation that's, that's beneficial as opposed to us just sort of saying culture change is important. So I suppose what I'm I'm kind of curious about is if you, you know, either bring in people to help identify what's wrong with the culture or you do it yourself, whatever, and you come up with some kind of plan, what does that look like in, in kind of actuality when it comes to actually trying to implement? How do you manage pushback? How do you kind of ensure that you um, the change is being measured effectively so that it isn't just a kind of, let's give this a go and hope for the best, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very simple thing to say, given where we all work, but um, communication's key on it. And it, and it really is um, communicating clearly, articulating your narrative around why you're making the changes, because change is uncomfortable for many people and it's uncomfortable within organisations. So I think having a clear understanding of why is really important. Defining what transformation means within the business, because it's um, it's one of those terms that I think, you know, we talk about innovation and people immediately jump to virtual reality. And actually, we might be talking about much more everyday mm. innovation. Mm. Um, and you talk about digital transformation and people go to, to kind of the extreme end of it. Whereas for some businesses, actually, it's about organising their information in a way that means that everyone can access it. And, th- and those are very different things. So I think framing what you mean by digital transformation and probably not using the term digital transformation within your organisation is really important. Um, communicating with people on a personal level, and I don't mean that one-on-one, particularly within a large organisation, it would take a very long time, but 
human to human in terms of the way that you communicate is really important and it's something that we spend a huge amount of time talking to clients about corporate messages in a human form and that's quite an art to get that right I think for people to feel like they're part of the change rather than it's being done to them Mm. is something that definitely comes from communicating in the right tone and with the right frequency and and I think um, having consistency around that so that people understand and to Leo's point earlier championing the things that are going well um, illuminating those areas of the business and making sure that everyone understands that there is reward for behaving in in the way that you want to you want everyone to behave and also I think getting the balance right around that communication around the benefit versus effort I think you can easily slip into the effort required to change behaviour and actually not necessarily show the benefit that mm. people will get from that. And that might be in, you know, being being more effective and efficient in your role or, you know, having happier customers. It could It could manifest itself in a number of ways. But I think showing the reward at the end of it rather than a lots of process. And I think you can get mm. very quickly into lots of org charts and process when you're doing these projects and, and being more human about it. So let's build a little bit on that because I'm I, I, that was going to be my next question is what what is the sort of business impact um, if you manage to nail culture specific for the particular business or quote unquote get it wrong you know what are the kind of uh, is it about hiring is it about um, you know customers like can you give us some concrete examples of what that looks like when either culture is good or bad? And culture is good and strong what you see is people copy each other. I mean, humans are built to copy each other. That's kind of how we learn as children. And you copy good examples and you do it yourself and you have your go at it and then it's become your version of that. And then it might be slightly different to the kind of official line, but effectively you're, you're on brand, you're on culture, you're delivering the, the, the goal the company wants. That's, that's what great is. I think it, it, the difficult side actually is if you're, if you're growing fast and you're hiring lots of people or this you have a, a churn because you know firms have churn, how do you constantly reiterate what it is we are about and how we like to play and behave around here? You know, because you have to, con- you can't, it's unfortunately not a thing you do once or even a program you run for six months. It's like, it's day in, day out. Mm. You know, that's, that's, I guess, I get why I started out talking about the responsibility of leadership to demonstrate, to live the values or live the culture in their actual daily practice. There are lots of examples of firms where they talk about digital transformation and the person in charge are not actually yeah. <laughs> living a digital life. Yeah. You know, so how can they expect people to kind of behave in, in a different way or, or adapt to the opportunities that exist today? Mm. Could, could, you, could either of you give an example then of, you know, either in your own companies or a company that you know of where they have a clear line of communication or a line or a clear way of ex- expressing or explaining what their culture is and then how they live that day to day, what that looks like? I was always impressed by Netflix's promotion of their internal HR principles a couple of years back. Did you ever see that? Really aggressive, really powerful, huge document about what HR was at Netflix and the kind of people they supported and didn't support. It was almost a better advert for that firm than a TV commercial could have been. It was it was really driving a sense of these are the kind of people that work here. And it became like a, for a brief moment in time, it was a really powerful kind of beacon of what great culture was at Netflix, a firm that grew very successfully at that time. Slightly related but probably not an answer direct answer to your question I think the interesting thing is when the culture of the company that is coming from the top or is something that's expressed externally doesn't meet with the experience of people within that organization you can see a real tension there and congruence is really important yeah so the behaviors of everyone in the organization has to match the culture that is 
that is coming from the top. And actually, I've got a slightly different perspective. It's really important that that is set from the top, but it has to be activated at every level of the organisation. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think everyone within an organisation should see themselves as a role model to somebody. And with that comes a responsibility to be behaving in the way that you think is is right and, and helpful and will grow your business and your clients' businesses. So I do think you've got to have that North Star. You've got to have that direction. Yeah. You've got to understand where you're going. But that's good. But I think you've got to activate through the business, particularly if you want to do anything at scale quickly. Because I guess if you're 35,000 people, then you kind of, and we talk to our clients about this, we want the 35,000th person on the list to, in some tiny way, deliver that experience to the customer that is what they're all about and what they believe in. And, and actually, maybe a nice piece of language to use around that or an idea is the idea of shared cultural ambition, is that we all know where we're kind of headed. Mm. We all know what we're trying to do. We all have a sense of what our culture should be about and what it shouldn't be about. And and that probably can be both communicated and experienced you know, through, through large organisation if you spend time energy and money on it I suppose. yeah I think there's um cancer research is a great example of an organization that we work with where everyone in the organization is working to cure cancer and that's irrespective of your job title and whether you're running that organization or whether you're you know in in any other role everyone is very clear that everything you do has to ladder up to that and mm. that helps to set that and um you know that's obviously an example that is much more difficult for for corporates to mirror but for everyone to understand the part that they play in delivering that end product, irrespective of how far you mm. may be away from that end product, mm. is really where you need to get to with your storytelling when it comes to these kinds of changes. Mm. Why are you doing it? Not what do I need to do? Where it gets crunchy, I think, is when you're dealing with you know, groups of people, departments, teams, geographies, whatever it is, where you're meeting with significant resistance to change. And then understanding what the you know, what the true motivation behind that really is, and how to how to handle and diffuse it, because those are where the things start, where culture change starts to fail. Isn't this? Be honest, it's the the rub between the ideal of the board and all their gang and their favourite people that kind of live the story in a part of tomorrow, and then some people who are resistant for whatever reason. I, I think a lot of it is people are often change is threatening. If you're really going to do it properly, you've got to tackle the hard end as well. Mm. And I'm absolutely convinced that there's, you know, people, for example, if you talk about digital transformation, speeding up the firm's ability to operate, its ability to be more focused on the customer, understand the customer. With that comes an appetite for risk as well. which So therefore, take a chance, maybe even on impartial data, make a call, be fast. Lots of the firms in business today operate quite slowly. Mm. But what digital transformation is enabling is them to operate quite fast. And I think the firms that can somehow say it's you know, it's okay to take a chance, we're not going to kill you if you get it wrong the first time. You know, that, people say they talk about that. That that's actually the nasty, hard, but very real end. I think of making cultural change happen. A lot of time when we talk about culture change, it is around how do we ensure staff morale is higher or people are working you know because if you if you sort of set an agenda as a board member you know it, it is going to be linked with ensuring profit is higher ensuring we're um you know delivering for our clients and so on and so forth that is the obvious thing for a board to be pushing a company towards but in order to sort of filter it through to the people who are delivering um sort of at the coal face as it were um sometimes that that kind of the idea of culture and benefits and kind of trying to make things more happier more fun as opposed to kind of the translation of um wealth for instance is a huge i think that's one of the biggest discussions that comes up when we read about culture is is it a band-aid for something else and i'm curious as to what you think the the difference is i mean but they do think benefits are different than culture 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think they are two different things. I think when I think about culture, it's about finding the things that motivate people within the organisation to work in the way that's best for themselves, the organisation and the organisation's clients and customers. I don't think it's about um, necessarily trying to lure in people who look just like you, sound just like you, fit into the culture. And that's that's the part of culture where I think you have to be really careful mm. is that, you know, what we want to do is create flexibility within a framework. So you set the rules around how you want an organisation to behave. You set the rules around how you want them to, people to do things within the organisation, treat their customers. And you know, Timpson's great example of being able to, on the spot, give customers refunds up to a certain amount without going through bureaucracy. That That's flexibility within a framework. There is a limit to how much you can give customers. If there's a problem with their dry cleaning, for example, you can't, you know, buy them a whole new wardrobe but they have the ability to do that and I think allowing people that flexibility within the framework of the organisation is really important but also the flexibility to be who they are and um, you know the team that I work in we talk a lot about bringing your whole self to work mm. and feeling that you can fit within a company culture that isn't so rigid that if you don't look and sound like everyone else it's not the place for you and I think you have to be very careful when you're talking about culture that you don't go too narrow into that, you know, yoga classes and breakfast and and fun and and team building because actually that's great when it's happening, but you've got to have that camaraderie within the organisation every day when things aren't going so well as well. I mean, great cultures have a commercial value in two ways. One, I think, in many ways, but two I can think of immediately. One is great cultures succeed more because they deliver more higher value service to their clients and people are people buy from people having fun you know from a nice team that are happy you'll want to work with those guys it's that simple so great culture does delivers a kind of you know a commercial benefit in that way i also think and this is kind of interesting i know from a fact from my own experience that working in cultures that were strong and positive and successful people will prepare are prepared to take a kind of salary discount to work in that fun mm. environment because they're enjoying it because they're learning because they know it's going you know it's building their career because they know it gives them options um, and so you know great firms great firms pay top dollar for good people mm. but they're also to get able to get good people at a slight discount because it's fun to work there mm. so it, there's a I mean to, to misunderstand the commercial value of of good culture is is to not to see it as fluffy rather than actually ultimately translatable into revenue or profit is quite it's quite interesting. Let's um let's talk a little bit about practical advice then. So we've, we've I feel like we've we've kind of talked a bit about what does it mean to kind of consider culture. What what does culture look like in various different examples? But for people listening to this and they're sort of considering, okay, I'm maybe not thinking about this enough, or maybe we're thinking about this in the wrong way with the breakfast and the yoga and so on and so forth. What would be your practical tips or practical advice to maybe start on the journey or or advance the journey better i think you need to really understand what you believe in authentically like what is the culture you want to create if you if you know it and it's intrinsic to your soul it's really easy to live up to it if you're trying to pretend to be digital but you're actually analog i mean you've had it right because mm. people will see it because it's so obvious so, so spending a bit of time on the data spending a bit of time really digging into like what do i actually care about what are the principles I'm going to live and operate and work by? I mean, that you've got to start there, I think. Where we're seeing big changes in terms of 
culture across our organisation is around um, diversity of thought in all of its forms. And, you know, we talk about inclusion a lot, particularly within the team that I work in. And we have a number of... um, a number of incredible programs across the business that mean that we are attracting talent from a wide and varied pool and i think that's something that's really important is you know from our business and it's different in every organization but it's really important that we understand our clients customers and we have, have businesses that are representative of our clients customers and i think we're working incredibly hard to change the narrative around how we find and pull through incredible talent across all of our businesses. And, and we're, we're doing incredible things in that space that I think are making a, a difference. Actually, in a, in a short period of time, which is something that you do need some some quick wins, but we're, we're definitely not just looking at the same sorts of educational backgrounds, for example, to go into... Um, certain roles that we would have done before and I know that there's some some good examples in the technology businesses where they're they're actually if you look at Google as an example they are looking at how they're recruiting in people who have degrees in some of those technical disciplines versus someone who's been self-taught in their Mm. bedrooms and actually have maybe more potential but don't have that piece of paper and they're looking at really creative ways of how they bring those people into their business and I think we are learning from those organisations and listening to those organisations and and looking at how we can and bring in more diverse talent and that's a way of changing culture that that can happen relatively quickly. Mm. One of the things that we use which is actually very simple and very effective is you know because we are taking a battle to management consultants from the creative industry which we're enjoying um and one of the ways we think about it is really having an an internal urge which we talk about a lot which is what would be the what is the modern thing to do what would be the challenger thing to do and and when you ask that question you know it makes you think about stuff that, that sort of standard behaviors around project definition or writing a proposal or thinking of an idea to how to solve a problem, but and you can say, well, okay, that's fine, but what would be the challenge thing to do? What would we? What would we do? What would? What do we believe is the outlaw thing to do in a way? And that 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 having that internal motivation lifts it ten percent, mm. the winning ten percent. Awesome. Um, I think we're going to wrap up there. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing us all your thoughts on culture. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Cognified podcast. You can follow us at Cognified on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, or you can visit us at Cognified.com. Make sure you look out for next month's episode. We're going to continue the experience conversation and continue bridging the marketing technology divide.